Hello mercenaries, this is Carolyn and you are listening to Merc News. The fight against the clans picked up this week as units pushed back against the invading forces, Kirita has managed to put a scar across the smoke jaguar front, morale for Kirita has increased, and more soldiers and mercs have hopped on to join the fight. The FRR still faces enemies on every front but has managed to slow down the invasion this week, even Steiner has made advances against Clan Jade Falcon. Most of the Inner Sphere's success is credited to the unification of some units and the chaotic fighting that has broken out from within the clans. Wolf and Jade Falcon continue to invade Ghost Bear. Ghost Bear has been pushed back and forced to separate their territories. Clan Jade Falcon and Wolf also can't seem to get along as they two have gone to war against one another. As relations between the clans breaks down, strike forces are pouring in to take advantage. A few different alliances have begun to pop up across the sphere, one of which is the new Star League. It hopes to unite the forces of the inner sphere to defeat the clans, however this alliance begins with conflict, soldiers are uneasy fighting alongside the Free Worlds League who continues their war campaign, and many still do not trust House Davian to keep to their word to defend against the clans, House Merrick has begun to conquer the territories around the planet Terra in an effort to defend it from the clan invaders, it is argued that this is for the greater good. Some feel they are better suited to protect it than House Davian. After what we have seen, they may not be wrong, especially since every faction continues to invade their territory with success. However, DCMS refused to join the Alliance and Phoenix Legion has been ordered to attack and reclaim the territories lost to House Merrick. Merrick Star Alliance has also returned to the Inner Sphere and joined House Merrick. Many faction leaders are angry with the unit and have cast them out as traitors, however they have joined in the Merrick campaign. The unit has multiplied Merrick attack forces and invaded factions on every front. It is unclear whether their actions are deliberate orders from house leaders or if the unit is acting on their own accord. They still have honored the peace treaty between Liao and Merrick however, and Merrick seems to be benefiting from their presence. All eyes are now on Merrick to see what effect they have on the battlefield. Many units are ready to pull the trigger and attack the faction, while others hope they can be the catalyst to turn this fight around. Scientists have been working on upgrades to existing battle myths in the inner sphere to counter the clan technology. There isn't much hope that this will mean victory, but soldiers will take anything they can get at this point. Join us next week and keep up to date on all things in the inner sphere and Merc status. My name is Carolyn and this has been Merc News. News is a Beer Warriors production. Check them out at beerwarriors.net. No Guts, No Galaxy is recorded in front of a live studio audience. This is an adult podcast containing adult language. Consider yourself warned. Welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy Max Devs and Beer podcast number 17. My name is Phil and I'm your host. Today is February 18th, 2015, and I'm joined by Darren Bombadil. What's going on, dude? Hey man, I am uh, I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well. I'm very excited. It is, I know it's Max Devs and Beer, but we're doing this kind of late as as opposed to the normal schedule so it's actually for me tonight it's mex devs and coffee big huge mug of coffee i've got a beer i'm drinking a traditional lager yingling it's delicious well you've got like the smell of beer in your room your office space there don't you yeah you guys should be totally jealous it's a mead and a hefeweizen or hefeweizen i think technically i'm probably going to be corrected on that one but yeah hefeweizen yeah, it's it's yeah. it's great. It smells yeasty in here and honey and uh speaking oh. of smells. <laughs> speaking of sweet smelling, uh, no, I don't know that actually. I don't know where we're going with that. Yeah. Don't judge me. <laughs> What's going on Paul? We got Paul back. How you doing, man? Not bad. Just sitting here wishing I had something to drink. Yes. Uh, do you have anything? Water at least? Nope. All right. Well, we're going dry on this one. This isn't a traditional Max Devs and beer, but we'll do the best that we can. Paul is, of course, lead designer for MechWarrior Online at PGI, and uh, this is what is I don't know second, third, fourth time. On uh, Mech Steps and... I think at third? least third, yeah, on Max Steps and Beard, yeah, at least three. That's the record because the last time we did one of these was actually with him, like last year, which is something we made a point to point out last time. 
So I don't know. Good point. So how are you doing, Paul? You, uh, you're home. It's after work. Still monitoring the Inner Sphere map, <laughs> which is my job lately. You're on call with the Inner Sphere map all hours of the day. Yes, I am. I'm not going to lie, man. I, I've been enjoying the tweets back and forth. Like, you'll have, uh, you know, the beer warriors will pipe in like, hey, we're doing this. FRR will pipe in. Davians will pipe in. And I don't know. I, it's it's one of those things where just watching from the social aspect where back in MechWarrior 4, we didn't have that type type of stuff we, we you know it was fall forum based there was no twitter there was no facebook and uh it's actually really cool i mean even even if it's just made up fluff it, it's always cool to see the sort of the proper you know ganda wars going on between the different factions and the clans so well what really blew me away is that somebody sent me at one point a link to a soundcloud message from i i can't remember which faction to which faction it was but it's basically an ultimatum saying you guys have set up a peace treaty you screwed us over well guess what we are now at war and i just thought that was really cool watching all this kind of stuff develop and hearing about all the backstabbing hearing about things going on in terms of like ceasefires between certain factions it's pretty interesting and it's exactly what we wanted community warfare to kind of end up being yeah both the actual physical game warfare combat and and the politics i love it i've been waiting for this for since the beginning so i'm super excited we're touching of course on community warfare here talking about the politics and the propaganda that is our first topic um we have several topics tonight that we'll get through with paul here since we are starting on community warfare i'll open up with the first question which is um there was obviously lots of anticipation and lead up to the implementation of what was really mwo's last big initial pillar or feature um, which is community warfare how do you feel now that it is finally out and people are playing it every single day do you have a sense of accomplishment uh, now that that stage of the journey is over, essentially? Or will 2015 pretty much be like last year for you? Well, the big thing is that, yes, Community Warfare finally made it out the gates. Um, yes, it's a little bit late, but at the same time, it's something that we've been working on for quite a while. The initial pillar is out there. Am I happy and the sitting there thinking, yeah, we're done? Not at all, actually. There's a lot that we still want to add to Community Warfare. There's been talk, and you've heard this from both Russ and I, is bringing in things like uh, logistics, uh, bringing in new game modes, new maps. We want to be able to bring in a level of... Lately, sorry. Lately, we've been discussing things like a possible scouting mission that will take place prior or during a planet... Uh, planet fight so there's a lot of stuff we want to be adding uh will we ever consider it complete you know through the development of 2015 i don't think we'll ever hit a stage of where it's like you know what community warfare is done uh, i think there's just way too much potential and way too much depth that we can add without just dropping it all and just cutting it off saying it's complete now that you've had time to sort of settle on it as well, is there anything that you would have done differently, especially with Community Warfare, now that maybe hindsight's kicked in? Is there anything that you'd been like, oh, yeah, uh, should have had that done and out the door? Uh, not a lot. Um, basically, we hit the milestone that we wanted to hit. Um, in terms of adding more stuff, yes, obviously things like coffer, Seabill stuff, um, a lot more player interaction as to the development of direction of how planets are being taken over. That's some of the stuff that would have been nice to get in there. Um, but at the same time, it is still under a beta tag. Now, I know people like to make fun of that, but at the same time, it's allowing us to watch what can happen in any given situation. And with that, we can start looking into, okay, when we really want to push this out as a community warfare in a nutshell, here it is. There's a lot of stuff that we're watching that the community has done that we want to address, things that went a little bit sideways. For example, this whole um, fact that I'm sitting here watching the Inner Sphere map manually assigning planets for conflict. Um, that's stuff that we will probably have to work on just to make sure that we clean up some of the rough edges, right? But overall, it's it's been a great experience, right? So. Well, I was going to say, and I mean, this is something, Darren, we've talked about, like games using and, you know, publishers and, and stuff using the term beta. I mean, really, with free to play, I mean, that's 
the type of development you have. It's more like uh, iteration, isn't it? Like you guys work on one thing, you know, and then the next version comes out, then the next version. I mean, that's pretty much community warfare. I just feel like uh, sort of going into the whole, you know, gaming industry beta is it's just sort of picked up this negative you know, sort of thing, because it's like, oh, it's always in beta. But I mean, that's how your game Phillips, you come out with a base level community warfare, you add on, you fix things, you add on, you fix things. And it's just, it's, it doesn't stop. I mean, Darren, we've talked about this with uh, some of the tank games that it's the exact same thing. It's like this ever evolving free to play model. I mean, and Paul, I mean, perpetual development. Yeah. I mean, isn't that sort of what you guys envision and what is basically going to happen? Well, that's the big thing. That's the difference between console development or even uh, finished box product development versus a free-to-play title is that free-to-play is all driven by content. And that's what the driving motivation is. And content includes anything from skins, decals, or what have you, all the way up to like entirely new features, right? Um, we don't really have a plan for an expansion pack, but at the same time, the features that we are going to be putting out are big enough to be considered as an expansion that you normally consider with a box product, for example, right? Um, yeah, we're just pushing ahead. And as development goes along, things get cleaned up, things start getting improved, things start getting added. So it, it is a nonstop development cycle when it comes to free-to-play. All right, from your perspective, uh, and of course you have the stats that back all this up, I'm sure, uh, what would you say is currently working in community warfare and what what's either not working or needs some work? Well, what the biggest hang up is, is obviously the whole thing behind the behind the scenes matchmaking. What's the process of getting a planet to actually kick off a match for people? Uh, we've been working on things to bring that clarity to the surface. Um, there's a problem with getting people involved, getting people matched up making those 12 man so you can just start hammering away on the planet. Uh, we're bringing in tools and that's some of the stuff that we're currently working on and hoping to see get into the game fairly quickly. And there's talk of this new looking for group feature. That's something that we wrote up just at the beginning of January and it's starting to come to fruition right now. People are actually working on it. The whole thing with VoIP, the whole thing with uh, faction communications, or the chat channel, uh, that's all starting to make it a lot easier to get into community warfare, which I think was one of the biggest things that would be holding community warfare up right now. Um, as for stats, we're looking at how many people are playing, how the time zones affect all this stuff, and that's why we broke it into three different time zones. Um, it's starting to come together, and like I said, we are watching this like a hawk, and it's just going to be a little while before we start saying, you know what, we're going to start adding this feature, this feature, this feature, and then once those are out, we're m monitoring, seeing what's going on, start adding whatever else is needed, and yeah, the, that's <laughs> our plan, is just constantly moving forward, watching what's evolving. All right, Paul, i got to add and dive into something here that obviously... I'm sure you heard about. I want to get your thoughts. Um, solo and group play. Community warfare, totally, you know, as far as uh, an experience. Um, if you're in a group, you're more than likely going to be a lot more successful in community warfare, right? And if you're in a solo player, it's it may not always, I mean, the reality of it is if you drop in solo, you may face a 12-man raffle stomp group on the other side. Now, obviously, I understand from the, the matchmaker standpoint, right? You guys are, uh, you want all groups and sizes. And if you have all groups and sizes, you need those individual players to fill in the gaps and stuff like that, right? But on the flip side, the experience can be, I mean, I've, I've watched streams. I've been a part of, uh, you know, games where on both receiving ends where your team is nothing but solo players and it runs into a whole clan group and they just wipe the floor with you. They're out, you know, shooting you at drop ships or vice versa. The reason I bring this all up is because this is a huge topic and concern. You have people that say, are saying, Hey, we want a solo group and we want a group, you know, uh, queue in the, the community warfare. Now, what kind of problems does that bring up for you? Because as of right now, you need solo players to fill in those gaps, but something does have to be said about, player experience right i mean if if you don't have the time or necessarily the the want or desire to be in a group uh is that basically all what's going to be left for you 
Uh, this is kind of a tough one, right? Because from the day one, we've always looked at community warfare as being for unit gameplay and team gameplay. It's never really been about solo or small uh, units. This is why initially we had a plan of saying uh, that if you were to create a unit in community warfare, you'd have to have a minimum of 12 players to do that. Uh, we decided to open it up a little bit just because of the fact that we know that not everybody can start creating these massive 12-man, 24-man. In some cases, we're looking at units that have like 280-some-odd people in it. And it's hard to organize that many people. It's hard to keep that um, level of gameplay constantly kicking off matches. So that's why we did allow solo players to uh, start dropping into Community Warfare. But at the same time, we look at it as that if you're a solo player dropping into community warfare, you have to realize that you're opting into this mode that's specifically built for unit and group gameplay. Um, when it comes to like getting raffle stopped, I'm, I mean, there's not much else we can do. We can't really design teamwork into a player's uh, play style. We have to have people getting a lot more involved with each other, getting ready to actually be social in a multiplayer game which is it can be a task in its own but at the same time we're adding the tools like VoIP and like um, trying to get people to be able to communicate a lot better with each other I mean further down the line this is something that's been big on my plate I've been banging on this drum for a long time and that's getting that command wheel in there and it's something that I believe will bring a lot more cohesiveness to the solo groups running up against these uh, other pre-made groups, right? So there's not a lot we can do. There is more that we can do, yes, but it's not like we're just going to magically flick a switch and then all of a sudden your game experience is going to change, not when it comes to community warfare, at least. Yeah, I, I totally see the challenge that you're facing with this. Um, we've obviously discussed this exact thing uh, for the for the public matches in the public queue. But, um, you know, I've always viewed community warfare as just like you said, as being a, a unit thing and org it's, it's meant for organized teams, for organized groups. And, you know, we get people angry at us when we say that, of course, people that like to play solo. And I'm not saying don't play it. I'm just saying that I feel like people should have a different expectation when they're going into a community warfare match solo. And have you ever thought of just like a, literally a pop-up window kind of disclaimer or something like that, just so that to appease a little bit, like, I just feel like community warfare is not a new player experience and, well, and it should never be viewed as such. It's, it's really about teamwork. And if you go in there solo and see something you like, like, Hey, this is really cool. I want to get, be a part of a unit. That's what I think community warfare should be doing is directing solo players to units um, because that's really where the ultimate CW experience lies. Well, my issue with that is I agree to some extent, but let's play devil's advocate. Maybe I have social anxiety. Maybe I just don't like playing with other people. Maybe I have, for whatever reason, uh, I just don't like like it. Maybe it's time constraint. Maybe it's I have kids in the background screaming and whatever it is. Um, if Community Warfare is using solo players, which it is, it should also cater towards them in some way. And I guess I, and what I'm trying to say, and, and Paul, like we were just talking about, we understand that it's, it's a conundrum because if, Rock you, take hard so, place all the yeah, way. if you take solo players out, then they want to be a part of it. If you put them in and in, in the current yeah. implementation, they're going to have to realize like, okay, for the most part, but that sucks, right? That sucks for me as a solo player, having to suck that up of saying, uh, that's a tough pill to swallow to say, okay, I want to participate in this huge faction warfare but I want to play solo. Well, you know that I I can I can play both sides because I I do agree, Darren, that it should be group. But I mean, maybe these smaller missions you're talking about could be solo or something. But you know, the game does, uh, and we've talked about this in other uh, games as well. You have to have a full group. Uh, you, you solo players aren't allowed. You know, so it's one of those in other games, yes, or at least a clan, you know, or something like that. Right, right. Blah, blah blah. But um, I think we're just saying we feel your pain. <laughs> well, I, I you no, know, I feel the pain as a player because I want to drop. Solo, well, I feel the pain for for everyone involved here. I understand. Yes, absolutely. Solo players, small groups are needed. We've needed them. Our unit when we drop and we don't have enough people. So I get that. And if the game allows it, then it's got to cater to them to some point. But I also just think that we need to do a better job, maybe, of um, relaying 
expectations or, or I don't know. Anyway, I just think it's it's a tough one. It's a, it's a divider, no doubt about it. Well, I can personally kind of agree with that. The metaphor that I kind of like to use when it comes to community warfare is that we're looking at an MMO situation where community warfare is your raid. And you're not going to be able to solo a raid instance, for example. You're not going to be able to be very successful if you don't communicate with the people that you do uh, play with in a pug raid, for example. Um, now, it's not a one-to-one relationship, obviously, because a raid is a PvE experience. But at the same time, is that it's a social aspect of a multiplayer game. And going into community warfare expecting, like, I am going to be a solo player, I'm going to stand out on my own, I'm just going to do my own thing, it's not going to be a successful plan for you, right? It is built for communications between a group. Uh, the group doesn't have to be a 12-man pre-made, it just has to be a communicating group that tell, talks to each other or lets each other know what the plan is or what their plans are. Um, if that's not the kind of thing that you're into, then... The public ran, or public queue is probably the best area for you to be playing in. I think another tough thing is being a solo player, even a small group, to be honest, because even if you drop in a two, three, four man, um, there's also another issue that I think uh, needs to be said is if you're dropping in these small groups of solo, you're going in there. Let's just say, you know, for argument's sake is you're in a good mech and you have good builds, right? So that's not thrown uh, back at us, right? And you're a good player, but you drop. There's nothing at all that will you know uh, guarantee that the other 11 people on your team one are equal skilled two have equal setups and or so that's a problem because then you're running into groups that all have decked out right that they've got a plan they've got a, a you know a set you know strategy for this map that map attack defend counterattack. Um, you know, so for instance, uh, you know, Thunderbolt 9S, you know, we know to take this first, or we have these mechs, uh, you know, Stormcrows and this Timberwolf to do this and that. You have none of that as far as organizational level as a solo player. And that's where, again, uh, just sort of speaking from experience, but also just watching a lot of people of, and that's where I'm stuck because I don't know how you solve that issue other than one, removing them. Uh, from community warfare or having their experience completely separate from group. But then again, you need those players to fill in the the buffers. Right. So like I said, it's, I totally understand the angst and uh, you know, I really think the, the, the answer, first of all, I loved the, the raid analogy. Perfect in my opinion, but um, I really think since yes, the, the, it currently requires solo players and small groups uh, that we should somehow enable people to progress into units there should be some kind of stepping stone once they get involved in community warfare as a solo player um do things whether it's a community or officially from pgi whatever um make it so that there's a clearly defined path to getting into units and um being able to play with other people but also voip huge help i want to see what the results are after you know weeks of people using it uh how that affects the the solo queue as well but we do need to move on we're going to spend forever on one question so in terms of community warfare, Paul, how do you see it evolving over the next six months? Uh, pretty much, like I said earlier, it's just going to be new maps, new game modes. Um, to kind of touch on that last question, the four-man uh, game mode that we have planned is kind of that stepping stone into the larger thing. So if you are a smaller group, right, and you cannot form a 12-man consistently, then these four-man, uh, possibly eight-man, or various size uh, game modes will help that stepping stone. Um, as for the next six months, I mean, the, Russ is laying out all the um, roadmaps, right? Uh, that's pretty much what we're working on, what we're targeting. Uh, myself, I have a big thing in my pocket that I haven't even hey, shared hey, with hey. Russ yet. Oh, hey, right. never mind. I thought Jeez. you were... back pocket. He that said beer. big thing in pocket. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where that was going. Uh, it's a little thing that I like to call Solaris, and it's all about the competitive league. And I love that's you. something that is close to me. It's something that I've been monitoring quite heavily, not just in our game, but other very, very competitive games as well. Um, taking cues from them, uh, being in competitive, admittedly, a long time ago. But at the same time, it's it's something that I really want to see happen. 
And I'm talking about bringing up the production quality of the spectator tools. I'm talking about leagues. I'm talking about matchmaking, possibly even adjusting the ELO system. Now, I know just saying that will make the engineers cringe, but at the same time is that there's tweaks that we can do to the matchmaking and skill ranking systems that we can do to help this whole process coming down the line. I didn't uh, know that Pong had competitive teams or anything. <laughs> you, you know what? I can say that because I played Pong, so I'm making fun of myself. Back in our day. Yeah. Anyway. Um, we threw so, rocks at each other. Yeah. And we liked it. Um, Solaris. That's huge, man. That is a, that, that is something huge in your pocket. And, and I, that's a love of mine as well. Um, not because I think I'm going to be on top of any leaderboard. But I just know the community that that's going to work for and the desire out there. So uh, we're all rooting for you to to make that a reality. Before we move on to uh, the next topic, uh, Paul, one of the things that I think a lot of the community has, has sort of wanted, especially since 2015 rolled in here, was, you know, polish. You know, you, you mentioned new maps, new game modes, and obviously pushing forward that involves community warfare. Um from the design standpoint and designer standpoint, though, there's a lot to be said about even on community warfare maps and design to there are some issues that need to go back. I mean, I understand from maybe like development standpoint, you always have to be moving forward, right? There's no like looking back per se, but it is a game and there are some issues. I mean, is there anything on on your radar that, you know, you know, for a fact that, hey, we are going to go fix this or yes, we are going to look at that map or whatnot? Uh, yeah, that's a daily occurrence. Um, we'll be constantly looking at things like maps. Uh, one of the examples that I can bring up is that I was watching one of Jaeger's streams and we saw a spawn camping situation and that's because there is a piece of cover provided uh, near one of the spawn locations. Now, like the very next day, I talked to Thad, our level designer, and had him flatten out that cover point and all of a sudden next build you're going to see that there's no cover point there so yeah we are constantly looking back at what's in the game right now in terms of polish yes we're constantly looking at that stuff again it's a matter of balancing time and resources we are always looking to get new content out there we can sit there and go back to the previous maps for community warfare there's three of them there we can sit there and polish 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 or do you guys want a new map right and that's the conundrum that we're running into is like I don't think community warfare can sustain itself for months on end just on these three maps, right? We probably want to bring that up to about six and then start going back polishing like to an extreme level where you don't see a lot of new maps coming out, but the current maps being addressed. All right, moving on to new player experience. Um, With rumors of possible 2015 release on Steam via Russ, uh, many times Town Hall, Twitter and stuff like that, are you currently re-examining the new player experience in general? Because, I mean, it, it is pretty rough as a new player. And I would say that not as a you know stab at the game or, or, or you as a designer. It's it's mechware. It's Battletech. It's fucking complex. And, you know, someone coming in here, there's a lot that is going against the player. I mean, um, you know, so what are, what are your plans, especially with, you know, a release on Steam is, is a big freaking deal, you know? Yep, and we are very well aware of that. That's why we have some of the new designers. Uh, some of you might know him is Dave Forsey. He is currently looking into all the scripting tools and all the uh, CryEngine tools that will allow us to bring our, for example, uh, tutorial up to speed. Like I fully admit our tutorial is not great by any means in terms of getting a new player into the game. But this is something that we do believe that can be used with the scripting tools. And along with the scripting tools is the ability to bring in something along the lines of PVE. And if we do that, that's going to be even an easier stepping stone for players to get into the game, get used to building a mech, get used to fighting with a mech, and then stepping into PvP. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've been discussing. We were actually, before you came in, Phil and I were talking about the new player experience. I mean, it's obviously a huge issue. And one that we all want to 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 be up to par as much as possible, so that the community grows and maintains. But what else can be done? I mean, you you were just talking about um, in-game tutorial. I think one one of the tough things, Darren, is the fact that even if you do bring in new players, there 
isn't just a skill level as far as physically being able to aim and, and you know manage your shots. There's yeah, yeah. another skill level of knowledge and information such as, um, hey, I mount this weapon, this large laser first, this ER large on my Shadowhawk 2K, and it's the top spot. You know, the next one will be medium. So I know to put on that weapon group by itself. So if I'm in cover, I can, you know, shoot over that cover. I mean, there, there's the complexities of knowing when a mech, you know, has, you know, low slung arms or, uh, you know, lower actuators. What does that mean? Not to mention uh, the intricacies of Indo and Pharaoh and double heat Information, and- yeah, which is basically what I was getting at is, you know, what can be done? What can improve the new player experience? And one of the things is there's so much information, like Phil was saying, Battletech, Mech Warrior, been around for 30 years. He and I take it for granted that you know we live and breathe it we know these things just like you do you know all the mechs you know the lore um what can be done as far as having more like basically a more clear all-inclusive updated information source maybe like a wiki uh new player guides or do you guys consider this more of like a community responsibility well i believe it's kind of a 60 40 split or actually even more extreme than that more like a 70 30 split where it's 70 percent our responsibility and 30 percent community basically we should be able to get players into a game and understanding the concept of how a mech is built right and that includes the tutorial that includes us doing things even along lines of including the community and saying okay let's make a video that's basically like a pro tip for this special mech. Like, let's take the Raven, for example. Let's take one of our highest yellow pros and have him make a video with us explaining why he builds a mech a certain way and how he uses it and utilizes it. And I think that kind of thing really helps out um, a new player trying to get into the game, understanding why a player would uh, build a mech a certain way. Now, one of the things that I found very, very interesting, and I've been looking into Dota quite a bit lately, is the fact that they have kind of like a build system that players can submit and they can share. And that build system is actually something that's active in the front end of the game. So you can actually learn how to put a character together without having to basically scourge information from the internet. And this is stuff that we would really like to get in. But the big, big thing is that this we're talking about like massive amounts of information. Like just the lore behind Battletech is huge. Add on top of the lore, the actual technology behind tech, uh, behind a battle mech, it's just massive. Our learning curve is probably one of the steepest learning curves you're ever going to run into in a game. And I've played some of the top flight simulators, and I have an easier time with that than just trying to get into our game at times. So it's going to be a lot of work. Yes, we are working our way towards it, but it's not going to be an instant one-night patch thing. It's going to be something that's going to be coming across the line as we go through 2015. I mean, even looking at uh, videos, even if they're official videos, I mean, that's what Darren and I, you know, do a lot of the times is there's, what, 100, how many variants are there? 200 plus? Uh, There's so many different mechs in the game. I mean, even if you were to sit down and say, hey, this is the the Raven 3L, and this is how it's set up, and this is why, and this is how to use it the best and stuff, you're you're talking about a lot of uh, pre-production and then, you know, post-production too. I mean, it's a lot of work. I'm not saying that's that's bad it should be done i guess that's where darren your question was how much is the community responsible for some of these things and the reality of it is is do you place all that on the shoulders of the developer um one of the things i used to say all the time is okay hey this may not be in game or this may not be being done by the devs well is there potential for me doing it you know and so i i used to do that a lot i mean especially with the the build videos i used to do it's like, hey, you know, it's not in that information. It's not in. Is there an opportunity for someone to step up and, you know, do it themselves? And, you know, you just don't see a whole lot of that. You do have a few people out there, just not as many because it's a lot of work. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, regardless of who does it, developer or community, you know, we just need to get it out there uh, because, you know, that all important new player. All right, moving on to the next topic, weapon systems. With the uh, recent heat scale changes to the AC2, and the current experimentation with large lasers. Can you tell us what your ultimate directions or plans are for heat scale? Hashtag blimp ball. <laughs> I remember all this. Sorry, I just I just figured it is for those that haven't been around. 
you've caught many bags of shit about this, so. Really? People don't like it? He, did, he didn't notice. <laughs> caught them all right in the face. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, lovely heat scale that everybody loves. And now here's the thing about heat scale is that when we implemented it, we had an issue with the InterSphere Max blasting holes through other InterSphere Max, and we had to bring in some sort of system that brought that into control. Now, one of the hard things that I have about heat scale is explaining the exact driving force behind it, and I'll actually share that with you now. And I know it's not going to be a popular outlook, but it's something that actually helped bring the game into control into a way that we wanted to see it play out. And heat scale is actually a player modifier, a player behavior modifier. It's nothing to do with the actual game or weapon system. It's about us saying that we do not want you running around on the battlefield punching holes through another mech. We want the game to play out where you're burning away armor, you're burning through internal structure, and then you start blowing components off, and then you kill a mech. It's not about just lining up one shot and throwing everything you have at it. Even in lore, you had things like an alpha strike being a very rare occurrence. And without something like heat scale in place, um, that's just not going to happen. People are going to be dumping everything that they have onto the enemy mech, right? So this is something that tried to... Well, it actually did help in terms of making a player realize that you can't just run into a battlefield and throw everything you have at one time. You have to actually manage your heat. You have to start taking into consideration that if you do do something like throw way too much damage downfield at one time, that it's going to have repercussions. Um, now that we've added clan technology, this is the time that we should be looking at readjusting the heat scale itself. I'm not saying get rid of it completely. What I am saying is that we should be adjusting it in terms of, okay, now the inner sphere versus clan issue, we have the clans being highly, highly heat efficient. Um, what is the inner sphere going to be able to do? So now's the time whether we start looking at things like the AC2, the large lasers for the inner sphere, where like, for example, recently we did remove the AC2 heat scale, and it's working out fine. There's no real big issue about it. Um, it's actually helping the inner sphere if you're <laughs> if you decide to build the DACA kind of mech. It's actually helping you basically sustain fire. Uh, with large lasers, what we are finding is that it's actually allowing players in the inner sphere mechs to actually get out that little extra oomph of um dps out onto an enemy mech when you start running into like the dire wolves and the timber wolves that are out there that are just massive tanks and you've got to burn through a lot of armor um this is something that's allowing us to take another look at what heat scale is currently at and we're trying to discuss whether or not we should just start bringing that scale down in the case of the AC2, yes, we did remove it, but I am still with Russ on in terms of like let's look at what heat scales currently doing now that the clan technology is there, and how can we pull that down, scale it, make it work for both the industry and clan. Obviously, with the topic of the AC2s, uh, to to sort of look at one of the issues a lot of the community feels about the AC2, and I would agree, is when you normalized the AC2 uh, DPS way back, um, it it was a big nerf to it because it brought down the DPS and stuff like that. Well, the only problem with it um, is if you take mechs like the the BJ um, or even the Jaeger at the time, that really the Jaeger was the only mech at the time that could boat them in numbers. And even if you tried the whole six, you didn't have a ton of ammo. So usually it came down to four or five AC2s. Uh, the DPS fell off so much that if you looked at your target and you were engaging, uh, they were able to basically soak it up and deal more damage back at you. So it lost sort of that suppression. Uh, you know, obviously with the heat scale turn off, you're still in that boat that uh, now at least you can fire without, you know, heat issues per se. They're still hot, but... You're not getting those huge, huge jumps. Um, it's always going to compete with like the AC5. I mean, uh, especially the tonnage to to what you're getting out of it. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on making it? What? How can you make it so it's actually effective, but it's not just basically a lighter AC5, or you crank up the DPS and then you have issues when it's boated? Like, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, here's the thing is that it's not a dead weapon in terms of a suppression tool, because right now we still have a problem with it, is that when you do boat it and then you do start laying into somebody with an AC2, the visual effect is so big that it almost blinds you. Um, there are alternatives out there. Like you said, you're starting to compare the AC2 to the AC5. Well, the AC2 is never meant to be on par with an AC5. Otherwise, why even bother having the AC2 in the game in the first place? Um, in terms of damage, it's doing its two damage per round. It's doing it at a very fast rate of fire, right? It's delivering the damage it's supposed to. What it's not doing is basically <laughs> allowing players to punch holes or even drive really hard into a mech when that's not what an AC2 is supposed to be doing. That's what the larger caliber ACs are supposed to be doing. And I don't know. If you take a look at the DPS numbers, right, you're going to see that, yes, the, DP, the AC2 DPS is low. But again, it's an AC2. It's not an AC5. You're delivering a lot more um, visual and mental stress onto your target than you are with any of the other systems. Because when you're getting hammered with an AC2, like a pair of AC2s, you don't know if you're getting hit by AC5s or AC10s or if you got like six guys trained on you just rocking and rolling on your mech, right? So there's still that mental uh, level of like concern when it comes to getting hammered by AC2s. So it's still a very valid suppression weapon. Well, I, I guess, again, just to play devil's advocate, because I know a lot of people have brought this up and I've I've read, uh, you know, in length, is the fact of six tons compared to eight tons. I mean, you're talking for two more tons, um, you can be doing five damage, um, you know. I mean, so it's one of those things, yeah, it can hit further out, has a little bit more range. Um, the velocity of the round's a little bit quicker than the AC5. It's just, why would I ever take the AC2? Um, and to make it effective in any form, you do have to boat. I mean, you'd literally have to be four or five of them, uh, you know, currently. So I guess that that's just the argument. I mean, they're just in a weird spot that they're always, from a player standpoint, they don't do anything that the AC5 can't do and do better. Well, let's put it to you this way. You get to that one point where you're building your mech and you're deciding, I have the last little bit of tonnage that I have. I have a little bit of room for some ammunition you know what, I'm going to take that AC2 just to harass another player. I'm going to sit there and use my AC5s to damage him, but the AC2 is going to drive him insane, right? Um, it's not a small amount range difference between an AC2 and an AC5. It's actually quite large, same as the projectile speed. It's like you're getting hammered from a long distance, and you're getting that same effect as right now you're currently seeing the same visual effect as getting hit by an AC-10. And that's something that it's totally up to the player to decide whether or not you want to take that. If you don't think it's a valid weapon, then don't take it. That's the only thing I can really say. All right, we'll move on from the AC-2. And I got one word for you, flamer. What about it? It's fine. <laughs> I knew you were going to uh, say that. No, this is something that uh, we do want to address, right? Do we want it to start doing heavy damage to a mech? Not really. I'd like to see it start doing heavy damage once you break through armor and kind of like the machine guns doing crazy damage to internal structure. Uh, sorry, internal items. Uh, one other thing that I'd like to do with the flamer is increase its ability to jack up heat on another player. But at the same time, I don't really want to do this until I can get the visual effect tuned and that's something that i have the art team looking at right now is kind of scaling back the ability for a flamer like even a one or two flamer mech will basically blind a player where you're basically a stun lock right you cannot do anything you cannot find your bearings nothing so once we turn the flamer effect down a little bit that's when i'll start actually playing with the actual ability to drive heat into your target and also maybe start playing with a little bit of damage well, what I keep telling people is regardless of when the flamer gets fixed as far as a mech-on-mech mech balance type thing, eventually, if infantry ever make it in, the flamer will have its day. Oh, yeah, it will. Right. And we're even kind of kidding about that when we're having our PvE discussions. It's like, yeah, we can start lighting little people on fire. <laughs> Barbecue time. Phil, you want to take us into game modes? 
Yeah, and just to sort of note too on flamers, I mean, even in BattleTech, and of course, you know, not from a tabletop standpoint, but flamers were often used against just infantry. I mean, holy shit! I mean, you're talking about <laughs> multiple flamethrowers basically out of mech that's chasing. Yeah, horde. I mean, you can't even imagine something like that. But that's the thing is, you don't have that. Um, so why would I ever take a flamer when I can just do damage to the mech and stuff like that? That's always been the tough thing. Range is always a factor in this. Um, but, uh, yeah, it definitely needs love. It'll be interesting seeing what you guys do with it. Cause, uh, I don't know. It just sort of has to outweigh from a player's perspective. You, you mentioned earlier, play behavior. That's basically what you're doing is you're basically saying, you know, would you rather take this or this? And I'm going to incentivize the use of this, uh, in some way that it's actually, you know, something that you might consider taking um, instead of, you know, normal medium laser, large lasers, you know, stuff like that. Well, the thing about a flamer, too, is that take one on your mech, start flaming somebody who's been firing autocannons at you, get in his face, and just flame his face. How many autocannon fire or shots are you going to take <laughs> while that's happening? And it's going to be very, very slim. Either he's going to be constantly missing you or he's just not going to fire because he cannot see you. All right, moving into game modes. What is the current state of the game modes in solo and group queue um, public matches? Uh, you know, because we, I think actually on, you know, our doc here, before we did this, we actually talked about this last time of uh, there's a lot of, you know, issues that still, again, going back to the polish, what we were talking about, haven't been done yet because you guys have just been pressing forward on community warfare and, you know, doing that. Are, you know, is there anything looking towards 2015 that, you know, you can be like, <laughs> other than, yeah, hopefully we get to it soon. Well, no, we actually do have some plans on the drawing board right now for new game modes, um, especially in public matches, because we know that we will start stagnating if we just leave it as is and just focus 100% on community warfare. Um, we do know that the public queue is something that we want to keep very, very active, so that's going to include new map, it's going to include new game modes, and that's <laughs> all I can say is that it's coming down the pipe, right? It's not something that we're going to be able to deliver right away, but it is something that we are very, very uh, well aware of. And then basically the same thing for community warfare. How, how are the game modes looking from your end? And uh, what has been the basically the player uh, reaction that you've seen? Well, the thing about the game modes in Community Warfare is that it's kind of driven towards what the backstory is of what's actually happening in Community Warfare. Now, that means that you are sitting there taking planets. So that's the kind of combat that we want to drive home. That's what the basis of the invasion game mode is. Now, at the same time, we also want to start implementing things that kind of bring up that feel of, you know what, you're it, taking a planet is not just based on like skirmish matches it's based on scouting it's based on like reconnaissance and that's kind of what we're going to be working into the with these new uh smaller game modes in terms of like 4v4 you could almost think of it as a scouting or a landing kind of mission where you're going to be going after different objectives it's not just a single cannon that you're going to try to disable it's you're going after intelligence you're going to go after ammunition supplies right and the defenders hey, we're just four mechs out on patrol. Whoa, look at these attackers coming in. What are they trying to do? We're going to stop them, right? So it's going to be a lot more varied in terms of what's actually happening on the battlefield, especially, and the key driving point will be basically be um, objective gameplay. All right, going to move on to our last talk, just miscellaneous stuff. Um, obviously with, you know, in-game uh, communication, uh, notifications you've got auditory you've got visual and stuff like that we just now have voip which you know i used uh all day yesterday only had a handful of actual people being idiots which was surprising i was expecting more maybe the <laughs> i was just being a little bit cynical but i was you know no, it actually, <laughs> yeah no it turned out well i would say obviously the biggest drawback right now is that you know it's low bit rate you can't understand everyone but on the teams that we knew people on our team. It was actually very useful. And it was actually really cool just to be like, hey, good game, or hey, UAV above us. I mean, it was, you know, that is awesome. And it'll be interesting because I'll be playing tomorrow in the solo queue how that transforms solo matches. Uh, so I guess looking towards like visual cues, you got, you know, warnings and, you know, the UI when you're, you know, in the Mac and stuff like that. 
is there other things? I mean, have you have you thought about implementing more visual or auditory cues or, you know, you mentioned the command wheel. I mean, I think even last time you stated you felt that was actually more gameplay important uh, to have before VoIP. Not saying VoIP isn't needed, but just saying that tool is, if not more important, because it doesn't require any type of voice communication whatsoever. Um, you know, so what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, let me touch on one thing is that you guys have noticed a little bit better performance in our game. And most of those performance gains are coming from optimizing what's going on with the HUD. Now, that just means there is a lot of information being drawn on the HUD in a way that probably shouldn't have been done in the first place. But um, we're being very, very careful about what we do add to the HUD. So visual cues are something that we'll be very, very careful of. Um, putting something into 3D space might start throwing our game into kind of a too arcadey feel. I'm not sure if we ever want to put like glowing halos around a mech or something when you target them or anything like that. But at the same time, there are stuff that we do want to look at. Um, better information in terms of like, for example, the paper dolls, they could probably be worked on. Uh, some of the recent casters have been broadcasting MechWarrior 4 and just seeing that little 3D render of your target mech just brought back a lot of memories and a lot <laughs> of like thoughts of like, that's such a cool interface. Nostalgia, yeah. Well, it's not just nostalgia. It's also the um, functionality of it because oh, yeah. you can actually see what the right arm is. Like right now, when the right arm of a mech on a paper doll is different if that mech's coming towards you or if it's running away from you, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what the 3D little render really, really helps drive that point home as, as to what arm you should be shooting at. Yes. Right. And yeah, that's pretty much the kind of stuff that we're looking at. I can't promise we're going to be acting on anything really soon, but at the same time, it is very, very important to us. It's something that we all are very aware of in terms of like, what can we do to optimize what's going on on the screen? What can we do to make it a lot more clear, not just for new players, but even for the experienced players? There's been talk of the HTAL kind of layout. There's been talk of like making it very clear as to what armor burn is happening, what kind of internal structure damage is being done, right? And it's something that we'll always be addressing. So we'll be addressing it as, as time can come up and we can free up some resources. Now, speaking of UI, uh, I'm going to branch off here really quick. Uh, you know, Mech Lab UI, that user interface, and then UI for, I mean, obviously that is another thing that needs to be updated. You know, Steam, that's a big thing. Not to mention just the functionality. I think, and I quote, I think Russ said uh, on the town hall, uh, or no, he said our store was shit. And I quote, uh, end quote. Uh, but he also said, you know, he wished it wouldn't have gone live. I mean, is that something you actually have a hand in? Uh, you know, and is it being redone? Have you thought about actually updating the actual physical uh, things in the mech, like the monitors and all that, and making it more of you're actually in this cockpit? Because right now it's very two dimensional, the UI, when you're in the mech. Um, just, just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Uh, when it comes to the UI, not so much, but when it comes to bringing the cockpit alive, yes, there's constantly talks about that. That's something that Dennis, the art director, uh, Alex Iglesias, basically all of the artists, art team is sitting there talking. It's like, what can we do to get rid of these things that say no signal? What kind of information can we put on there? Now you got to be really careful with that because some people might say, well, put the battle grid down there. Well, the battle grid is a key component in terms of knowing, being situationally aware. And if you throw it down on the monitor, that makes you have to free look towards it to see what's going on. That's actually detracting from the gameplay experience. But there are items that we can put down there, and that could be ammunition stores. It could be weapon, uh, weapon status, for example. Uh, basically, it's secondary information compared to the primary information that you'd want that's directly on the HUD. Right. And we're always talking about, like, can we move something from the HUD onto one of these monitors and try to free up some resources based on that? And it's an ongoing investigation, but it is something that we do want to do. And Russ is very right when he said that. It's like there's some problems in there, but it's just a matter of getting to him. Um, One last thing on all that scale form. Are you guys going to get rid of Flash? 
pleas for the even YouTube got rid of Flash. <laughs> it is so bad. I mean, what I mean, obviously, I know it would take a lot of work, but is that something that has ever really? I mean, performance-wise too, that would help. Is that something that you guys have, uh, or you personally are, are abdicating for? Or? Uh, not really at the moment, just because, of, like you said, it is going to be a mountain of work to write that layer, right? Like Scaleform and Flash were brought into gaming a long time ago just because of the fact that it was kind of like a turnkey situ- solution for getting a HUD on screen. Uh, that hasn't changed a lot in technology in modern gaming. Like there are still numerous games out there, brand new games coming out, AAA title games that are using Scaleform and Flash. But at the same time, it's like there is a lot better ways of doing it. Um, could we rewrite, rewrite it? Yeah, we could, but it's going to take a long time and a lot of engineering resources to do it. Um, I couldn't even possibly comment on saying whether or not we would do that. So, yeah, I'm going to have to leave it at that. All right, moving on to the last topic. Um, Phil and I have, and, and NGNG in general, definite supporters of player-run tournaments and leagues. Um, I think they're an essential part of the community. It fills a niche that's much needed for the highly competitive players and units. Um, And until you pull that thing out of your pocket, it's what we have. (laughs) Uh, It's what we have now. So my question is, uh, you know, we've we've done some uh, both official and unofficial support of some of these leagues um, and tournaments for, for people and have worked with you guys, PGI, directly on that. Is there any plan for future uh, support for community-run leagues and uh, tournaments officially? Uh, Yep, this is actually something that I wrote up a few, I guess, about a week ago. And it's something that I gave to Russ, and Russ is fully on board with it. With a new community manager joining our team, we are going to start moving ahead with it quite rapidly. And that's actually supporting all of these community leagues. there's been a few cases recently where you guys are streaming certain like finals for a certain tournament league or whatever. And I've popped on, I've started giving away some premium time, some MC. There was that one time I gave away a fire starter, right? And instead of just doing uh, random stuff like that, we are actually preparing packages that we can offer to the various community leagues. And depending on the scale of your event, Will depend. Will bring up the scale of what kind of packages we can offer you. Um, this can be things like 24-hour premium time codes, all the way up to the top-tier competitions, where we'll start supporting you in terms of things like massive MC rewards for the winning team. Um, I mentioned earlier, just in passing, that we were looking at um, possibly giving like 1,500 MC to a winning team of a top-tier tournament, and Russ came to me saying that, you know what, why don't you jack that up quite substantially? So we haven't come to a number yet, but we can start supporting the community with a lot bigger prizes. You were saying per player, right? Yeah, this is per per player. Yeah. Right. Just want to make that clear. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yes, your whole team can now afford half an update. No, uh, it'll be a per-player thing, and we want to get a lot more involved. Uh, Russ is really on board with doing a big, big event, and this is beyond like the top-tier rewards. We're talking like big cash prizes, and that's something that Russ is always harping on me about. So it's something that's going to be coming up. Uh, oh, sorry. <clears throat> with the onboarding of the new community manager, we are going to be stepping up our uh, ability to, to actually communicate with the people running the leagues and we'll be able to have a lot faster turnaround in terms of providing you with prizes and just support excellent well that is very good news i'm i know several people right off the bat they're going to be super excited when they hear that well cool i think that's yeah. it for tonight but i have to do say this is that yes jaeger and uh the beef will not be getting any support because they hack <laughs> uh, <laughs> we knew it no you know it's one of those things too you know going with community league support you mentioned earlier solaris and uh i think with that though and i know we brought this up way back when with the the official uh tournament which was the spectate tools on you know right now dude they're just bare minimum uh you know it works uh, it's definitely not functional it's not pretty and stuff but 
yeah, man, you add that, you add the fact of you're getting this league support and then potentially Solaris. Uh, yeah, just more tools, better options also for people that like to do, you know, videos and stuff too. I mean, that's, that's one thing that I've always wanted is a, a you know, a better working spectate tool, but that's going to, it's going to take some, take some time. And then, you know, who's it available to, where's it available, stuff like that. Well, here's the thing. Some of the people in the community know that I've been spending a lot of time in Dota lately, right? And that's because I wanted to look at what they've been doing in terms of their competitive scene, in terms of their basically broadcasting capabilities, because I don't know if you've ever watched the International, or, or I think it's, yeah, the International, which is their giant, giant tournament. Uh, the production quality there is just outstanding. And now they're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and stuff like that. But at the same time, the in-game spectating tools are just outstanding. I mean, you can imagine watching a MechWarrior game where you or uh, anybody is spectating and they can bring up a chart that shows you, well, what's the average heat that everybody's running right now, right? Like this guy here seems to run pretty cool. This guy here runs hot all the time. Um, you can bring up what the current damage output is from each player, right? And just bring up those kind of charts mid-game allows players who are watching, especially a game like Dota, for example. I learned a lot about that game just by watching the tournament, watching what the spectator tools are bringing up, and they're showing me exactly what's happening at the game during the game, right? real time and that kind of feedback is priceless and that's the kind of stuff i'd really like to see brought into the spectator tool for mechcore all right well i would totally agree i have nothing else to say but uh you know we need it like in you know a week so you know go yeah. forth and more make and more it and right more right now no anyways okay <laughs> i just want to say thank you paul uh for taking the time you are at home and i uh, know you're hungry you haven't ate yet so uh yeah dude man thank you for taking the time and uh just chilling and next time, we'll make sure you have a beer and food, potentially food before <laughs> and then beer. All right. No, thanks for having me. Uh, sorry it's been so long since I've been able to do this. But like I said, Russ has me running around doing a lot of stuff. So <laughs> we understand and we totally appreciate it, man. But anyways, I just want to say a big thank you to our community, our listeners, new and old, and our amazing staff and sponsors. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your support. This was your local No Guts, No Galaxy Mechware podcast signing off for tonight. This is Phil. And this is Darren. This is Paul. Until next time, Mech Warriors. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube at No Guts No Galaxy TV, on Twitch at NGNG TV, on Facebook at No Guts No Galaxy Podcast, on Twitter at No Guts No Galaxy, on iTunes at No Guts No Galaxy, or via your favorite podcatcher with the RSS feed at feeds.feedburner.com forward slash NGNG. It'd be best if you avoid me. But I know you probably can't You sense something is wrong with me You can feel it on my skin But there is more with Just a little off The truth is at one time I was But now I'm a robot Forever